Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, today's message is entitled, The Day the Lebbies Broke. The day the levees broke. Early in the morning in New Orleans, Monday, August the 29th, 2005, a Category 3 hurricane came ashore with sustained winds of 100 to 140 miles per hour. As the sun rose in New Orleans, people thought surely the worst was over and they had survived. Everyone's greatest fear as Katrina came is that the waters would be so high they would top the levees. Everyone woke up the next morning thankful that the levees had not been toppled, but something worse had happened. They didn't topple. What happened to them? They collapsed. They collapsed. And as they collapsed, I think we got a a picture up here. As they collapsed, I can remember, you see this highway right here? I stood there 72 hours right there. Walked, we came in from the Mandeville side. One of the sheriffs brought us over on the bridge from the North Shore. And we stood right here and looked. And as you looked into the city, I-10 was a boat launch. How did that happen? Why did it happen? Many of you know the ensuing days were even more tragic. Because people escaping the waters began to climb up where? Into their attics. Some were prepared and were able to make holes in their attics. And so they were able to stand on top of the roofs of their house. But others were not. And because of that, the rising waters, them in the attic, many were trapped and died in their attics. All of us remember those days. People trapped. No one could get in. No one could get out. Because as you know, New Orleans is like a huge bowl that sits six feet below sea level, surrounded by water on all sides. The only way that you can get into New Orleans is via bridges. So if the bridges take on water, then the wall, the bowl becomes like an island and it's impossible to get on, and it's impossible to get off. And what ensued over the next few days, I was Kathleen Blanco's pastor at that moment. I remember meeting her and Coach Blanco at the home they were staying in. The the, the governor's mansion was being renovated, and, and I remember her falling on me, weeping. It's tragedy after tragedy and day after day and, and all, all of the pain. How many of you will never, ever forget that? Raise your hand. How many of you were from New Orleans during that time? Raise your hand. We have some folks that were. What happens when the levees collapse is exactly the picture you saw. Like New Orleans, every society and every country has levees that surround it and protect it. Do you know what those levees are? There's two of them. The first levee is the law. The law. The law is meant to protect and provide. Say that with me, protect and provide. Oh, that wasn't very good at all. Let's try one more time. 
protect and provide. Well, the law, how, how many of you ever been pulled over? Raise your hand. How many of you ever been pulled over in Port Berry by the Port Berry Bushman? <laughs> how many of you know Port Berry is a speeding trap? It, it is a speeding trap. Matter of fact, true story. I was coming from, uh, um, what's the place over there? Lake Place. False Rivers. Come, we were coming back from False River. My in-laws had a camp back in the day, and we were coming through at Mardi Gras. And there is a sign, and it's like 60 miles an hour, and like 50 yards from there is another sign that says 40. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you love your pastor, please go shoot that with a lot of bullets. And, and so they are waiting right at that. So you're going from 60, 50 yards later, it's 40, and they pull you over. So they pulled me over right over. I pulled over right over in a gas station on the right. And the policeman gets out and says, can I see your driver's license? And he starts going through all this stuff. I said, well, officer, I, the sign said 60. He goes, yeah, but didn't you see the one right after that said 40? I said, no. He said, well, it said 40, and I clocked you going 50. Said, he said, but, but you're, you're in good fortune today. I said, really? He said, yeah, we're running a Mardi Gras special. <laughs> True story. He said, if you'll pay me cash right now, it won't even go on your record. I used to do what he did before I was a Christian, but it was with drugs, not with tickets. <laughs> when, when you look at that, you hate it. But at the same time, do you realize that every time you come up to a four-way stop, you have 100% confidence that somebody else is going to stop coming from the other direction? When you're sitting there and you're aggravated and you're waiting on that red light to turn green and you're ready to go, few of us ever think, suppose somebody else isn't stopping on the other end when they see red. You see, because the same law that is there to provide, protect you, okay, that you don't like is providing also a safe travel place for you as well. The same law that says thou shalt not steal, God is saying, not only do I want you not to steal, I want to protect what you own. The law is given to protect and, and provide. Here's the second levy. The second levy is internal. The first one is the Lord. The second levy is the, law, is the law. The second levy is the Lord. It's internal. It's internal. It's our conscience. Say that with me, conscience. Say one more time. Some of you, I think, lost yours somewhere along the way. So we can find it in church. Conscience. The word conscience comes from the Latin. It's two Latin words combined together. The, the prefix con. How many of you have ever eaten Mexican food? How many of you know God made Mexicans? How many of you know Mexicans made Mexican food? How many of you know we should all worship now? <laughs> the word con is a Latin prefix that means with. With, like chili con queso. You say, well, I have chili con queso. That means chili with cheese. Chili con, it means with cheese. Chili con queso. And then the word science means to know. So you have been given a conscience to know with, to know with. And so 
the golden rule is actually written in the heart of every human being. Would I want someone to do to me what I am doing to them? So there are two levies that protect every healthy civilization. The first one is the law, that's external. And the second one is the, and that's internal. But what happens when the levies collapse? What happens when the levies collapse is that society begins to resist and reject the two levies that have held back the flood of lawlessness and immorality. To to, to say it plainly, what happens to a nation when they collapse? If morality is telling you what is right on the inside and the law is telling you what is right on the outside, what happens, what kind of spiritual and moral Katrina happens when the levees collapse? It results in moral chaos and it results in lawlessness. Does any of that sound familiar? And that's where we are as a society. Let me just stop here and say this a moment. In case you think that I'm talking about who you are to vote for, I'm really talking about who you need to submit to, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because until God changes your heart, the only thing that can control you is the law. The only thing that can control you is the law. Man's issue is not who we've elected. Man's issue is is that we have lived as a slave to our passions and fleshly desires instead of submitting to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who rules and reigns forever. There is always this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit but we need to be sure what we're fighting against. Look at what Ephesians 6.12 says. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with what? Say it loud. Let me translate that, political parties. But with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion against the heavenly realm, for they are powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits who hold this dark world in what? We must see that the battle is not a physical battle, but it is a spiritual battle. One of the mistakes that we have made in our country, and one of the mistakes that Christians have made is we make spiritual things political and we make political things spiritual. If something's spiritual, it's eternal. If something's political, it's changing. This is not new. It's not new for you and me. Jesus was tempted the same way. Let me show you one time when he was tempted the same way to make something political spiritual and something spiritual political. Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees came to make a plan to entrap Jesus with his own words. So they sent some of their disciples together and some staunch supporters of Herod, that's the king. And they said to Jesus, teacher, we know that you're an honest man of integrity and that you teach the truth of God's ways and we can clearly see that you're not one who speaks only to win people's favor because you speak the truth without regard of the consequences. So tell us then, what do you think? Is it proper for us Jews to pay what? Taxes to Caesar, the ruler. 
or not? Do you see the trap? Jesus is preaching about eternity and they want to make it about taxes. In other words, he's talking about something that's eternal and they want to make it about something that's temporary. Jesus knew the malice that was hidden in their cunning ploy and he said, why are you testing me? You're imposters. Who do you think you are to have all the answers? Show me a Roman coin. I asked them if they could find one. Did we find one? Did we find a Roman coin? There we go. There it is. That's an actual coin, just like they they produced. And he said to them, who brought him a silver coin to pay the tax, now tell me, whose head is on the coin? Whose name or inscription is stamped on it? Go back. Go back to my coin. Whose name is on there? Caesar's. Caesar, they replied. And Jesus said, precisely, For the corn bears the image of the emperor Caesar. Well then, you should pay the emperor what is due the emperor, but because you bear the image of God, give back to God what belongs to him. What was he saying? You're trying to make this about something that's temporary. I'm trying to make this about something that's eternal. You're trying to make this about something that's political. I'm trying to make this something that's true on the principles of God's word. Quit worrying about taxes and start worrying about submitting your life to my lordship. That's in essence what Jesus was saying. They were trying to trap him. People tried to do that now. So by making political issues spiritual and spiritual issues political, we become as confused as they were. Taxes are temporary. One of the great comforts I have in reading the Bible that you always know is, do you know people go, how do you know the Bible's true? Do you know people hated taxes during the time of Jesus and they still hate them today? (laughs) I'm always amazed by these people to go, I think everybody ought to pay more taxes. Well, nobody's stopping you. Open up your checkbook. (laughs) Do you think that if you sent a million dollar check to the IRS, they'd go, oh, I'm sorry. Of course not. What are the main spiritual principles that have been politicized in our society? In other words, what have people made preference when it's really biblical principle? I want to talk to you about four of them. I want to talk to you about four of them. Because I'm, I'm 62 years old. You know what that means? Someone said... When you were in your teens and 20s, you were worried about what everybody thinks about you. When you're 30s and your 40s, you start going, I don't really care what people think about you. When you're in your 50s and your 60s, you realize nobody was even thinking about you. (laughs) It's a shock, (laughs) but it's true. Look at me. I'm going to be standing before God sooner than most people in this room. So my highest concern is not what you think. That's temporary. That's temporary. My highest concern is what does my king and my Lord and his word command me to say. 
Now, here we go. You don't want to do that. It's worse than dropping the flag. Here we go. It doesn't matter what party you stand with, but it does matter what principles you stand on. One's temporary, one's eternal. The first issue is the issue of life. Of life. Let me stop right here and help you. Jesus said, I came in John 10, 10, that you might have life and life to the full. The message translation says a better life than you ever dreamed of. But the enemy comes to and and the, the enemy's plan is if he can't kill you, he wants to steal something from you. If he stole something from you, he wants to destroy something in you. Now watch this. There is a war on life. It didn't begin in 1973 with Roe versus Wade. I wish they did. It would have been real easy then. It began in public education when they took what this book says about creation. Remember, if he didn't create life, he can't define life. Remember, whoever it begins with, it ends with. So if you were here by chance, or let me translate this, from goo to you by way of the zoo, My son, Wesley, who's now with the Lord, I taught him a little thing when we were talking about evolution. It was a little poem, and it goes like this. First, it was amoeba beginning to begin. Then it was a tadpole with his tail tucked in. Then it was a monkey swinging through a tree. Now he's my professor with a PhD. (laughs) Remember this. If God did not begin life, then he's not the one you answer to at the end of life. So it began there. The second step became Roe versus White. You denied where life began. Then in 1963, they took away acknowledging that in prayer in public schools. So they denied who began life. Then they denied the author of life even being acknowledged, in 1973, 10 years later, Roe versus Wade was passed. And by a five to four decision since that day, one million babies have been aborted. One million. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I set you apart. Proverbs 31.8, but you would be a king who speaks on behalf of the disenfranchised and pleads for the legal rights of the defenseless and of the dying. Psalms 139, 13 and 14, for I formed you in your inward parts. You were knitted together. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's God. As a born again Bible believing child of God, I am pro-life. That is not a political statement. That is a biblical statement. It doesn't just mean I'm anti-abortion. It means that I value every human life from the unborn to the sexually trafficked, to the abused, to the broken, to those who fall prey to unjust evil. I am pro-life from the womb to the tomb. 
Listen carefully. And it's unfair for us to say that we are pro-life, yet not care for the widow and the orphan. That is why for years, many of you here who've come to the church in the last four or five years know Love Acadiana is something that helps people in crisis, rebuild homes, floods, hurricanes. What you don't know is it was founded simply to end the foster care system in Louisiana. There are hundreds of foster children in our church because for years and years, we said to people, we can't be pro-life if we're unwilling to care for those who have no mother or no father. Do you know that every single foster care program in the state of Louisiana would be ended if every church would foster one child? One child. So we believe that it's disingenuous and dishonest and inconsistent to be able to say that. That's why we feed the poor, rebuild homes, refurbish schools in the poorest areas that serve the most needy in our community. What makes me so angry is that scientists are willing to go thousands of miles into space to attempt to find life on other planets, but they're unwilling to go six inches into the womb to acknowledge what is a child. How hypocritical, how inconsistent. Do you know that the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a racist and a eugenicist? Listen to what she says in her autobiography. She's quoted as speaking to the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, the Ku Klux Klan. And she said, the gradual suppression and elimination and eventual extinction of defective stock, those weeds which threaten the civilization of blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. And again, to a fellow doctor, she said, we do not want to get the word out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Do you know that almost 70% of every abortion clinic is within walking distance of an African-American or Hispanic neighborhood? Do you know that out of every 1,000 African-American babies that are conceived, Almost half of them are aborted. After that, it's Hispanics. That is systemic racism. And if you think that we're going to stand before God and we're not going to speak on behalf of that and that we're going to be innocent, you're dead wrong. Today, I am pro-life from the womb to the tomb, and I want to give you my greatest reason. It is the word of God. Let me give you my latest reason. Show it. That's John Wesley Aranza. He was born on Friday morning. Keep the picture up there. He is one month premature, which means he could have been aborted up to the day before his birth. 29 days after this, he could have been aborted. I want to say, if you're here and you've had abortion, God forgives, he cleanses. And I'm going to just say this. I'm sorry to have to say this quickly. Name that baby. Ask God to forgive you. Receive cleansing and forgiveness and know that child is in heaven. But there is no way in this life you can tell me that that isn't a living being. Yeah. 
even though he came out a month early. The second restrainer, the second levy is the law. First John 3, 4 says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Romans 13, 1 says, every person must submit to and support authorities over them for there can be no authority in the universe except by God's appointment, which means that every authority that exists has been instituted by God. God has given the law to restrain us until our heart has changed and trains us. It doesn't mean, look, should children submit to their parents? Are there some bad parents? Of course there are. But it doesn't mean that commandment isn't true and it isn't applied best for most every circumstance. Of course, if you have an abusive parent, you shouldn't submit to that. Of course, that's a given. But you don't make rules and laws on exceptions. You make them on general principle. Is everybody with me? Here's the third, liberty. Another levy, liberty. There's a lot of confusion about how America began. It began because there were people who wanted to worship God and they weren't allowed to worship and there was a state church in England called the Church of England. And those people wanted to leave so they could find freedom to? Freedom to what? Freedom to what? Not freedom to have any kind of immoral act they wanted. Freedom was given to us to choose to do what was right, not to choose to do anything we want. Do do you know that there are laws, that most of our laws were based upon the word of God? How many of you know that? Do you know certain moral, immoral acts are banned by the law? A human being being involved with an animal. Do you know that is still illegal? Who came up with that? Three guys from Dusan? Man, what you think is sick? Well, I don't know. I heard that. Well, okay, let's make a law against that. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. The moral laws were given by the one who created man. And so he's the only one that even knows how it is to function. Again, liberty is the freedom to do what's right. It's not the freedom to do whatever you want right now. Number four. Family, every person must first answer this fundamental question. What is my ultimate authority? If it's the creator God, then he is not only the creator, he is the definer. He's the definer. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Your feelings are important, but they are not the final authority. Our culture is driven by its feelings and preferences and not by principle and the promises of the word of God. Don't get confused. Don't take what's temporary and act as though it's eternal. Don't take something that's political and confuse it for something that's biblical and moral and eternal. Proverbs 14, 12 and 13 says it best. There's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again, it leads straight to hell. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but, all, but that laughter will end in what? 
and in heartbreak. God's definition of marriage. All of us will stand for different things in our lifetime and give answer to God for. The generation in 1973 that was aware and alert will stand before God for what happened with Roe versus Wade and their response. My generation, us, we will stand for the death of marriage as it has been known since the beginning of this book, five to 8,000 years. Five to 8,000 years. God said in Matthew 19, four through six, have you not read, Jesus is speaking, he who created them from the beginning made them what? And female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man ever separate. If God's word is your ultimate authority, then God's definition of marriage is the final authority. I don't know if this has happened to you. I know it's happened to me over the course of my life. That oftentimes I'll be reading the Bible and, and I'll observe that, that the Bible contradicts the way that I think and the way that I feel and the way that I've been taught. Has that ever happened to you? Then I must assume that if the Bible contradicts the way I think, the way I feel, and the way I've been taught, I must assume that God and his word is right and I am wrong. I must assume that. Today, there's enormous battle in our culture. Are the levees broken? Have they collapsed? Do do you remember when when they were taking those huge helicopters, were taking those huge sandbags, picking them up and going over to the levees. How many remember that? And they were trying to drop and stop the breach. Let me tell you. Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are. Do you know what lost people are doing today? They're doing what lost people are supposed to do. They're lost. But it's not lost people that are given stewardship of being the salt and the light. Who is it? It's us. It's us. Can I use an old example and then close? I'm a, I'm a big hunter. Many of you know that. I love killing God's creation and eating it. I know all of you, oh, pastor, you do that. You eat chicken, shut up. 
People, Pastor, oh, I would never do that. You eat a big old sausage freak. I say, that pig was killed. It was the biggest. Okay. Of course, having five boys and one little girl, my boys all grew up hunting and all of them started teaching them how to carry a gun. They were three years old. They would carry a BB gun out in the field and I'd show them how to carry it and there was no BBs in it just so they would learn. Most of them were shooting shotguns when they were seven, eight, nine years old. But it all began five years before that. And, and for them, they really didn't care too much for the hunt. They just liked being with daddy and they liked stopping at the store before the hunt. And it was trick or treat at 4.30 in the morning. Okay, you always hostess Twinkies. Come on, the big cupcakes with the velvet on top. And they'd get one of the, some of that, and they'd get a honey bun. Come on, a good, healthy, diabetic meal. Honey bun and chocolate milk. And then they'd always get a Slim Jim. This was back before the big animal that has beef jerky. It was just Slim Jim. And Sure enough, we go out. They, after about an hour, I'm cold. I'm hungry. Let's go eat. I'm out of Slim Jim. Okay. Then we'd, we'd head home. Next year, we'd come around and we'd get all, start getting all their hunting gear and all their boots together. And I'd start going through their pockets and stuff. And sure enough, I'd find a Slim Jim from last year. You know why it took me so long to find it? Because you know what a Slim Jim is. A Slim Jim is, what is it? It's beef jerky. But the way you make beef jerky is you take the beef and you salt it down and then you dry it out. Do, do you know why it took me so long to find it? Because it had been salted down and dried out. Because if they would have just had a piece of bacon or a piece of meat, that thing would have been screaming, come find me, everywhere. But the salt dried it out so it didn't stink. Salt is a preservative. So when you look around you and the world stinks, it simply means we're not doing our job. We're the salt and the light. I'm the salt and the light. You're the salt and the light. Today, I'm not looking for this election to bring revival. I'm looking for you and me to bring revival. Come on. I'm not looking for either one. There has never been a president yet, whether it was Ronald Reagan or Eisenhower or whoever it was that brought revival. That comes when the church gets sick and tired of looking to others to do the job that God called us to do a long time ago that we keep pushing off on other people. So today, I want to pray. And I want you to join me as we pray for God to help our nation and to restore the fallen levees. Father, today, in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, we cry out to you and we ask you to send a spiritual awakening to our country. The levees have collapsed. 
Our culture stinks. Yet we're the salt and the light. So we ask you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let us be your voice to speak for the unborn. Let us be your voice to speak for the helpless and the defenseless. Those that are fatherless and lost and helpless and poor, let us be your hands and feet. Lord, let us be the light. The light. That's our job. That's our job. Give us your wisdom and give us your power to serve boldly, to speak boldly, and to be your hands and feet in all we do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. That's eternal. That's eternal. Have you been born again? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they died spiritually. And every person born since Adam and Eve has been a son of Adam. We have been born spiritually dead. And we remain that way. Whether we go to church, don't go to church, get christened, baptized, read, we remain that way until the moment we're born again. That's what Jesus taught in John 3, 3. Have you been born again? He said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God and you won't enter into the kingdom of God. Today as your pastor, my greatest desire is to help you become spiritually alive and then equip you to be a disciple and follower of Jesus after that. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me today? I want today to be my spiritual birthday. I know what you're saying is true and I know it's what I need. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and I'm gonna pray for you. I'm the only one that's looking. Everyone has their heads bowed and I'm just gonna pray with you. One, God brought you here. Two, it's not an accident. Others pray. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you now. The Bible says, and today is your day to be your spiritual birthday. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Three, if that's you, would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Yes. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, 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 I see your hand. Yes. You can put your hands down. Many raised their hand. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Pray for me. I need to be born again today. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If you already raised your hand, don't raise it again. But if you didn't, raise your hand and wave it at me right now. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, yes, yes. You can put all your hands down. Church, let's pray out loud and join together all of those that raise their hand today to be born again. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. 
you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen. Would you give all those people a hand that pray to be born again today?